Welcome back to Virgin Active Minds. I'm Mark Cito, your host, and I'm here to let you know that this is the end of season two. It's been such a fantastic season with so many amazing guests and deep dives into the world of health and well-being. Firstly, I'm so grateful to you, our listeners, for coming on this journey with us. Without you on the other end listening, the show could not go on. Second, a huge thank you to our incredible guests who, like us, want to share their passions and knowledge with the world to help heal and nourish bodies, hearts, and minds. A massive thanks to our producer, Jamie, and the wider team at Virgin Active for supporting the show. Keep your ears peeled for season three. But in the meantime, I'll share my number one tip for squeezing all of the juice from each episode. I go back and listen a second and sometimes even a third time round. Just like yoga, Pilates or any form of exercise or learning, repetition is sometimes key to mastery. And here are some of our favourite moments from season two. Enjoy. My next guest is the one, the only, Sir Richard Branson. If you could recommend three things to our listeners in regards to well-being, mental health, physical health, what would those three things be? Do everything you can to get a good night's sleep. Uh, surround yourself with, with friends that you can lean on and um, family that you can lean on and celebrate the good times together and, and help you get through the bad times. And just do everything you can to just find the time to get to keep fit. People think that they're not going to be able to find the time to keep fit. Uh, they're too busy. Um, but actually, you know, if you do find the time to keep fit, you're going to be able to fit in an extra two or three hours into your day. So, you know, it pays, it pays for itself many times over. No matter what you think, there is emotions inside you and they are affecting you at some level, whether that's, the negative effects of trying to or thinking you're suppressing it um, or the opposite as well, being, you know, way out there and potentially not thinking of those around you. Why aren't we more aware of this from much a much earlier age? It's, it's strange. So the term emotional intelligence, you know, that didn't even come, that wasn't even a thing, I think, until like 1992. So two researchers wrote a paper called emotional intelligence and then it wasn't until the term was sort of adopted and popularized by Daniel Goleman, a brilliant psychologist, and he popularized the term. He wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. And then what happened was society really picked that up. And, you know, corporations around the world realized, oh, wow, you know, the 80s are over. We need to develop emotional intelligence in our leaders. So it takes a while for this evolution to pass down through the generations. So so why isn't it in school? It's not in schools because it's still something that parents are grappling with and coming to terms with and learning about. So I think it's really just a question of evolution. I do think, you know, when you've got the World Economic Forum identifying it as one of the top 10 skill sets to be um, required, you know, in the next 10 to 20 years. The short answer is I think it's definitely being introduced more and more in the workplace and that's going to trickle down to schools eventually. 
What do you think mental health is to you and what's the importance it holds for you? Yeah, for me, mental health is being self-aware, making sure that you're being honest with yourself, making sure that you are on a daily basis doing things that are healthy for you. And that can be different for everyone, but whether it be, you know, for me using my example, it's I exercise every day, I meditate daily, I write gratitude lists, mental health, it's a lot of it's intangible. So when we say to someone, you know, what what does physical health mean? And someone that's into fitness, you know, it's like this tangible thing where you can see it and you can physically see the results a lot of the time. But then mental health, it, it, it often isn't. So it can be a bit confusing. So I think for me, it is all of those things. And, you know, trying to just make sure that I can be the best version of myself and always be, you know, not be too critical on myself, but also be challenging myself enough to be honest enough about, hey, these are some areas that I need to improve in. And here's some people that I can get some advice on off from that and realizing that there's no end, there's no end point. I think you don't just grow to a certain point or, you know, create personal progress where then you stop. It's like you, you never stop learning. I'm sure that there's many listeners right now that have had weight loss goals, uh, potentially on a goal right now or, or aiming for a goal right now. Why does this often end in failure if we're you know just having this one single body weight weight loss goal so setting a goal around weight is really setting ourselves up for failure um so it's actually looking at the goals we're setting and looking at what that is potentially doing in terms of how it will affect our motivation sustainability and ultimately um, how we feel in ourselves along that journey. And there's been some research into, into this and, and some wonderful researchers have, have coined this, this false hope syndrome that occurs when we set weight loss goals or goals solely based around weight. And I can't really talk about weight loss goals without talking about the scales because typically this is the tool we use to measure the progress scales measure weight. And if we're setting a goal around weight, they're often going hand in hand. And, and there's sort of four fundamental flaws that we go into weight loss goals with very often. And these flaws, um, as, as we'll uh, come to see, uh, they're sold to us. We're constantly taught, we hear, we read these things. So we come to believe them, but they're, they're fundamentally false. And the first one is the amount of weight we set out to lose is often overestimated. Um, the speed in which we'll lose it is often underestimated. So here we're starting our goal with setting a goal that we're going to lose an overestimated amount in an underestimated time frame. And again, you know, the weight loss industry sells this to us, you know, 12-week programs, eight-week challenges with these results that we see that uh, aren't realistic, not physiologically possible, or only for the very small outliers. Uh, the fourth one is, the, the third one, sorry, is, is the ease in which weight loss is attainable, right? So we're expecting to lose a lot in a short amount of time with relative ease. And again, this is, I guess, the, the weight loss industry's other great selling point is, you know, you get these results in this short amount of space of time and all you have to do is, you know, download this ebook, right? Like that's it. Mm. Um, uh, so we're going in with this sort of overinflated idea that it, it's going to all come quickly and it's going to be relatively easy. Um, and then that fourth floor is that we expect the benefits to be beyond what is reasonable. It's not just I'll lose weight, it's um, I'll get happier and healthier, be more successful, get that dream job, dream relationship. We often tie a lot to 
weight loss and it, it, it's often becoming this sort of gatekeeper that we need to achieve in order to achieve all these other things. Now, the, the challenge with these flaws is if you can imagine, and they start out with this hope and it's often very motivating at the start and we start some new program or challenge or we just decide, you know, come Monday, I'm going to start cooking more, drinking more water and exercising more regularly, maybe sign up to an exercise class. And initially we may start to see some early results. Right? And this reinforces everything we've been told. You know, the program's working initially, you know, we may even see some early weight loss, physiological reasons around that. But ultimately this doesn't continue in a really linear way. Weight loss eventually will slow, sometimes stop, even go up, despite us still putting in the same effort, right? And when you're a personal trainer, you may have even heard your clients go up, I've, I've done the same thing this week, right? Mm. And very often they're telling the truth. The body isn't this robotic machine that gets the same results each week. And because we've set out with this expectation, these false hopes that it should keep coming off as quickly as it started and we should be feeling all these benefits, you know, and it should be easy. We ultimately run into this point, this tipping point where the consequences, the challenges are outweighing the benefits we're seeing. And this is where motivation, if it's only tied to weight loss and the scales, it plummets, right? Um, this is often where we abandon our efforts. That's sort of what's the point? I'm putting in all this effort. I'm not getting that one result, that one progress measure on the scales that I'm tying everything to. And there's nothing else I'm really doing this for. So we abandon, feel like a failure. Often we internalize that. We don't think maybe the goal was set too high or maybe this program doesn't actually work. Maybe I've been sold a bit of a, a lie. We internalize it, feel like a failure, knocks at our self-confidence, knocks at our self-esteem. Um, but it's a cycle. So eventually that wears off and we get sold the next great thing. And because it wasn't the program that failed us, it was us that failed the program. We jump into the next one. So this is sort of part of what you can see this sort of cycle that we can get stuck into when we set a weight loss goal. Um, and when we set ourselves up in that way, that ultimately is going to leave us self-sabotaging or feeling like a failure. How could you describe the power of sport when it comes to individuals and also society as a whole? You know, for the individual, if we just take it at an individual level, sports provides opportunity to build character, to develop, again, key skills like strategic thinking, goal setting, analytical thinking, being able to take risks but measured risks. It gives individuals exposure to various environments. We know that participating in physical activity encourages individuals to be healthier and to choose positive behaviors. So in societies where, for instance, crime or drinking or teenage pregnancies are common, introducing physical activity programs in these communities at a young age allows kids a different outlet, right? And, and, and steers them towards positive behaviors instead of dangerous behaviors. And so this can be transformational in communities. Sports unites and it promotes um, universal values that connect people across languages and culture. So much gratitude for you. Until next time, bye for now.